The NCAA women's basketball had an incredibly successful season, and now your favorite players from the 2023 to 2024 NCAA season will be in the WNBA. To all our veteran fans, welcome back. And to all the new fans joining, welcome to the W. This season, watch as proven legends Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Sabrina Ionescu continue their dominance, while rookies Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese prove themselves on a WNBA court. The WNBA is redefining basketball on their own terms this season, keeping the game and players front and center while celebrating the intersection of identities and perspectives that align with fans. Welcome to the W. You're in for some world-class basketball. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. That royalty-free music bed can only mean one thing. It's the Nerdist Podcast number 79. Hey, my stand-up comedy tour, entitled Chaotic Good, continues through May and June uh, in cities like Minneapolis, Brooklyn, Seattle, Detroit, Dallas. So go to Nerdist.com, look in the sidebar uh, for ticket links right there. Also check us out uh, in Los Angeles at our Nerdist at Meltdown facility, Nerd Melt. May 2nd, we're doing a live Nerdist podcast with Mr. Kevin Pereira of Attack of the Show. You can go to MeltComics.com to get info for that. So, this episode uh, is with Andy Samberg. A couple months ago, Wired Magazine asked me to write the cover story for their comedy issue and come out and interview uh, Andy and just talk about about how comedy has evolved in the digital age. Uh, And I said, can I record that and make it into a podcast? And Wired Magazine said, yes, you can, Chris Hardwick. And I said, thank you. We shook hands and parted ways friendly. So, uh, that's what this is. You can read part of the interview in Wired Magazine. uh, And this is the full, unedited uh, audio portion. So uh, Andy's a super great guy, very smart, very contemplative, uh, just a really sweet dude. So it was a real pleasure to actually sit down and, and talk to him uh, about comedy. Before we get to the episode, I would quickly like to thank our sponsor, Hover.com, H-O-V-E-R. That's Hover.com. It's a domain name registration management uh, that's super, super simple. If you want 10% off a new domain, go to Hover.com slash Nerdist. Um, I don't know if you're like me. Late at night, I like to register weird domain names. I don't know why, but I do. For some reason, I own DudeMyNipplesAreHuge.com. What am I going to do with that? I don't know. But the problem is, domain registration has become more and more complicated. It's just like more more hierarchy and more pages and more stuff to check. Uh, these sites barrage us with pages and pages of offers when you really just want to buy a domain and be done with it and forget about why you bought it. Uh, Hover.com does not sell a ton of services. They make it easier to register and manage domains and email. They also have a no-hold policy for customer service calls Monday through Friday from 9 to 8 p.m. Eastern. When you call, you get a live person. They're not going to put you on hold. Go to Hover.com. You can manage your domains super easy. Uh, Set up email addresses, forward email addresses, redirect domains, other website addresses, create URL extensions, set privacy controls. Um, They make it super easy to transfer your existing domains to Hover. Hover domain transfers are free. Uh, There's a $10 charge if you want to extend the domain registration one year past the current expiration date. Uh, They give Whois privacy for free. And for many people who purchase domain privacy with all their domains, this means that they will actually pay less with Hover. So again, if you need a new domain, use the offer code NERDIST, get 10% off. That's hover.com slash NERDIST. 
and use the offer code NERDIST. Thank you so much, Hover. I give you big hugs. And now, here is the Nerdist Podcast number 79 with Mr. Andy Samberg. Kick out the jams. Why am I talking like this now? Because it's late. Now entering Nerdist.com. A uh, sliver camera right there. <laughs> I can watch. Deep breath. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> All right, I can go ahead. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. I'm here in New York with Andy Samberg. Hi. Hey, Andy Samberg. How's it going? We're pretty good. So we're, this, this is sort of a double duty. This is like half podcast, half I'm mining you for information for the Wired uh, comedy issue, basically about how the internet stole comedy. So It's a twofer. It is a twofer. Yeah. So if you like to consume things with your eye holes, then you could look at it in print, or you could jam it in your ears uh, in this longer form. So, Andy, uh, let's start out with the basics. Tell me about your <laughs> cab driver. Oh, my God. My cab driver was a delight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, can I tell his inappropriate joke? The first joke he told me. You, I, you could, I mean, th- that that part won't make it in the wired, but it'll it can it, it it'll be fine on the podcast because you did not tell the joke. This was the driver's joke. The driver's, you're right. I got in the cab, immediately started asking me what I was heading uptown for. I said it for an interview. He said, "Why?" I said, "Because I'm a comedian." <laughs> Just knowing that it was like a family reunion situation, he was going to immediately start telling me jokes. And he he goes, uh, oh, I know a great old Frank Sinatra joke. Yeah, it goes, uh, why are basketball players so tall? Why? Because they're Negroes. <laughs> wow. Slam dunk, Frank. This was in the West Village, and I had to get Slam to 89th dunk, Street. Frank. Basically, those are those are the jokes. Those are the same style of jokes that appeared on the roasts. Did you ever watch the old, you ever watch the old Sinatra? Roast? I haven't seen the old ones. No, I know. I, I know they do the new ones now. I remember watching the uh, infomercial for the Frank Sina- the 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 Dean Martin roasts, and then they yeah. they would have everyone. And I remember thinking. Oh, that's right. Those were hilarious. And then I bought them, <laughs> and uh, they did not hold up. Not as much. They didn't hold up so much. Mm, it was yeah. a lot of those jokes. A lot, <laughs> a lot of those jokes. Hey, Sammy's here. Someone's got to sweep up after we're done. It was a lot of that stuff. <laughs> oh, my like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> you can just feel your asshole slam shut as you're watching. Like, inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't seem to understand. I think at my recoiled so hard, like, oh. <laughs> and he was like, wow, it is what it is. He said it is what it is a lot. I was like, I don't know that it is anymore. I mean, it's not really. It's not really what it is, is the thing. Times have changed. They've changed. They've marched on. Uh, speaking of changing times, what a, that is the best segue I'm ever about to do <laughs> in my life. Speaking of changing times, Andy Samberg. Um, well, first of all, I, just my, my brief sort of history with you was um, you, not that we were dating or anything, but you moved wow. out to, when did you move out to L.A.? 
L.A., I believe in the year 2000. Because I remember seeing you around the comedy scene, and one show in particular was at this place in Santa Monica called Finn McCool's. Mm. It was like a Thursday night show in a pub. I remember that. You know how you know how bargoers love being surprised <laughs> with comedy? <laughs> it's like when a comedian opens for a, a really rocking band. Yeah. Everyone's like, shut the fuck up! No, wait a second. I just want to point out the foibles <laughs> of shopping. <laughs> no. So, uh, and, and I think... I think at the time, it was a, actually, I actually remember it being a pretty good show. I think Louis C.K. was on the show, and you were on the show, and a handful of people. Oh, that's right. I remember that set that Louis C.K. did. Yeah. It was, like, kind of right around the time when he first started doing family stuff. Right. And it d- was tearing the room apart. It destroyed. Yeah. This was maybe 2003 or so, yeah. 2004. Yeah. And it was, I think it, w- it must have been right before you started doing SNL. I think it was. I think it was. I think it was, like, a year, maybe a year and a half before. Because I remember having the experience of like, holy shit, it's Sandberg. <laughs> that dude. There's Andy Sandberg. He's on oh, SNL. Yeah. So weird. Uh, oh, that was another joke, by the way, that the cabbies told. Uh, I told him that I used to do, st- I did a lot of stand up. And he said, well, now you can sit down. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I'm successful like, enough that I don't need to do it anymore, I guess. <laughs> So so his level, his his success yardstick is like, <laughs> those peons out there got to stand up. It was quite literal. I don't know if he meant that I could stop doing stand-up or if I could actually just sit on stage now. It's like that, that you're that powerful. It's not, it's not only standing up comedy. Like, you could do it a lot of ways. Did a lot of stand-up. Now you can sit down. It's like, oh, it's about as straightforward an interpretation. When Bill there. Cosby sat down for most of the himself special, he had made it. Uh, so you, you, I remember at that Finn McCool show, you showed one of the Lonely Island videos. Really? I think it was the Brooke Shields one. Oh, wow. Because I remember seeing it at a live show and, and, and kind of going, how the fuck did they get Brooke Shields? And then it, <laughs> and then in retrospect, it really, the, the thing that you guys did with Brooke what sort of felt like a precursor to the funny or die model for a lot of yeah. like, you know, we get... Which is ironic because Brooke's uh, husband is the founder of Funnier Day. That is true. I mean, also what we do with the shorts at SNL is just, you know, SNL in general has always been that of, like, having famous people who are known to be a certain way come and sort of spin it on its head. How do you get Brooke Shields? Through Chris Henchy, uh, her husband. Yorma and I were both working at Spin City. Uh, I was the writer's PA there. Mm -hmm. And then I moved over to uh, an assistant position, and he took my job. So we were both working there, getting people lunch, basically. Nice. Um, oh, yeah. And were you like, a... someday I'm going to be a big television star? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, just get the corned just, beef. Just no fucking mayo, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and Chris Henchy was one of the writers there at the time. Who was awesome. The best. Such a sweet dude, and just immediately took to us and you know we showed him some of the stuff we were making and the site that we put together uh and he he kept being like oh man you guys are great we, you gotta get Brooke. He, like he brought it up he's like you gotta get Brooke to do something you gotta get Brooke to do something we we're like yeah well <laughs> anything literally that's so great so you didn't have to go you know how you're married to Brooke Shields yeah no not at all he opened the door to it completely uh and obviously we were over the moon <laughs> we were still like you know bringing home the leftover lunches to eat for dinner yeah. from, from, like, the writer's room. So <laughs> all, all that stuff was completely new and incredible. Now, when—so how many episodes of The Lonely Island did you initially do? 
Well, we did like two longer ones. Mm-hmm. Um, like 20, every like 24 minutes or so. Yeah. Well, the second one, the one with Brooke was actually like an unofficial pilot for Comedy Central. It was like a pilot presentation. We had made the first one with like all the stuff with Tooth Whitener and we had made a few like, you know, joke music videos and a few sort of like Stella ripoff style videos mm-hmm. of us just kind of dicking around the apartment. Uh, and we sort of used that to pitch Comedy Central a show. And at, in the meeting, this is kind of our, like, favorite story from dealing with Comedy Central. In the meeting, <laughs> we were like, the thing that's different about us is that we really deal in, like, pre-tape, you know, media. Like, we use a lot of sort of genre spoofing in the editing and the music. And we do a lot of sort of cinematic comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh at the time, it was right when they put up the Comedy Central like live space, mm-hmm. and what, uh, I think one of their guys was like, "Oh well, I, I won't ask you to do anything for the live space then." And like the whole room laughed, like, "Oh, <laughs> of course, that would be ridiculous." <laughs> and then after the meeting, we got a call from our agent being like, "So they want you to do some stuff at the live space?" <laughs> and we we're like, "What? Why? Are you telling me?" <laughs> like, that I is, I don't know. <laughs> I I have a hard time believing that you went into a television network and they they asked for something opposite of what they already told you the first time. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I know. But uh, so then we were like, "Well, we." Have don't have a live act. It's not you know we're not like an Aspen like crew or something. Right. So we shot a long video and screened it at the live space. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll use it as a living room where people can come watch. And we did like yeah like little buttons at live at the top of the bottom, uh, and it went over quite well. Was, That's great. It was fun, but it, it was sort of a perfect indicator of dealing with television. Well, so you, you guys really were. I mean, you really were pioneers. You're really, I mean, when you when you talk about sketch groups who, or comedy groups who who use the the internet to to sort of forge forward, I was I was reading stats and you, the stats on your guys' YouTube channel is insane. <laughs> Sixty three videos, eight hundred and thirty seven thousand subscribers, four hundred and thirteen million views. <laughs> Jesus Christ! People like jokes about jizz. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> clearly that's fantastic. What, have you have you been able to uh, a word people love to use is monetize? Do you monetize the YouTube channel, or is it more about awareness? Uh, we're trying to make it more the former. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far, it's been really good for awareness. <laughs> <laughs> now, why do you think it's so hard to to spin YouTube into cash with that many views? For us, it's been not about. Uh, the views, it's been a, like the views, if we had a different setup, could be a lot of money, but it's that we came through the door of NBC and SNL mm-hmm. and then also a record deal mm-hmm. with some of the new songs, which we made so we could have videos on YouTube. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, people, you know, you see these things where you're like, oh, this, some kid in the middle of nowhere has like, you know, three million subscribers mm-hmm. and you hear he's making all this money on YouTube, it's because he's completely in control of all that content. Gotcha. But it's also because that kid's probably not spending a ton of money on his videos, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's making one a week or one, you know, every two or three days. So it's, for us, weirdly, when the stakes become higher and the production value gets higher, it is less profitable on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, interesting. There's like a weird balance to strike if you want to make that your sole 
like place to make money. I think of spending less, producing more, because mm-hmm. uh, I I think it's a pretty proven fact. The more you produce, the more followers you gain. You know, the more frequently you produce, so it's more of like an intimate relationship between the the creator and the viewers. Right. It's uh, not dissimilar from like Twitter or something. Like that, you just need a consistent. When I started doing my podcast a year ago, I, I said we have to just make it. Put, make it no matter if no one listens, it just has to be consistent every right. week. Yes, and I, and that seemed to help for a little sure. Bit. For sure, yeah. But that's harder when you're making videos because you have yeah. to fucking make a video. Well, it's especially hard because we're already making videos every week at SNL, right? <laughs> and we can't put those on YouTube because NBC Universal has their deal with Hulu and NBC.com. Right. right. Uh, so, I mean, that was. For us, you know, when it first sort of started, when we did the one with Chris Parnell, mm-hmm. the, the— Lazy Sunday. Yeah. It was immediately on YouTube because no one had heard of YouTube really yet, and that became this big thing, and it got so many views, but then it immediately got yanked off of YouTube. And then we did the one with Natalie, same thing happened, and then we did Dick in a Box, and the same thing happened— and it, it just got really frustrating for us because we knew there was an audience beyond just the show now with the internet and specifically on YouTube because YouTube was just shooting through the roof. Right. Uh, so specifically for our songs and music videos, we, you know, with Lauren's and NBC's consent and involvement, struck the record deal. Uh, and that's why videos like Jizz in My Pants and I'm on a Boat live on YouTube and have those gigantic view counts. Oh, my. Uh, I'm on a Boat is like 53 million. That's insane. <laughs> like, you, it's, I mean, that that's that's getting up into, oh, yeah, this is this is a close to the most views things can get <laughs> on the internet. Dude, it's changed even in the last year or two. We were, like, we sort of faded away from it and then just because we're getting ready to put out our another another album mm-hmm. we started checking out YouTube again the number one video is Justin Bieber it's like 400 something million I heard some figure the other day that Justin Bieber Justin Bieber related tweets are responsible for three or four percent of all of the total tweets that just that kid yeah that's crazy <laughs> I still don't know what he does he's just, yeah. <laughs> never, I've never heard a Justin Bieber song we I just hung out with him he was at the show he seems like a sweet kid he's he's going through it man I mean what is he like 16 17 probably 16 maybe I don't know to, I mean I can't even imagine I talked to him a little bit about it I was just like how you work as hard as I work maybe probably harder now when I was your age I was like Praying to get through high school. <laughs> I think uh, I think pop music is the new factories. Yeah, like you can you can run a kid into, you can run a kid into the ground like in the old industrial revolution yeah. days. Yeah, I asked him. I was like, "Is it crazy for you? Or are you just tired all the time?" He's like, "I couldn't tell." Like he seemed very genuine, and was just like, "Yeah, but you know, I get to travel all over the world, and I love what I do." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess if you were like." 12 or 13, and you were like, I have a great voice. I want to be a singer. And then three years later, you were like one of the biggest stars in the world. You'd be pretty pumped. And and, and in a pretty quick amount of time, he became yeah. – it, it, it tipped really fast for that kid. It must be terrifying. I don't know, but he doesn't really know anything else. I guess that's true. I mean, this I is pretty much true. his life, which is why I think so many of these kids get all fucked up when they – 
you know, they 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 develop when everyone gives a shit about what they're saying. Right. And they get like 20, 23. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then their their fan base gets older and it just doesn't really You got to figure out a way to keep it yeah. your own thing. Cuz when they get to that point they're like, "Wait, what do you mean no one cares what I'm saying anymore? <laughs> Pills, drugs." I was, it's, I feel like Jonas Brothers had a real harsh drop off recently, right? Like they were massive massive and now you don't really hear about them so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think part of it, what happens is when these kids get to a certain age, they want to do that thing where they're like, we're, we're, we're grown-ups now. Right. We're men now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, no, nah, we just liked you as little pets. <laughs> we liked yeah. You. you know what, though? You never, like, Jonas Brothers, one of those dudes or all those dudes could come back around in, like, five years reinvented, and you'll be like, oh, but they were always talented. You know, they were just making stuff for kids at first, and now they're adults. I gotta say, I think the Hanson brothers are kind of talented. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Timberlake turned it around completely. Absolutely! Like, and I'm not just saying that because I know him. Like, (laughs) the dude makes killer music that everyone loves, and now he's, like, in a movie that's probably gonna win Best Picture, so... Yeah, yeah. Like, it's definitely doable. It just, I think when you get that big, you have to come down before you can come back up again. What a score with that guy on SNL, too. He's, like... He kills it. He's consistently hilarious. He's definitely one of the best hosts I've worked with. Like, he's just crushes. Every, I mean, he's just a presentational performer, and that's that flies there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's chat a, a little bit about... I mean, when did you kind of start... When did you start doing comedy? Um, it's the first time I, like... Did stand up? Yeah, or were you kind of thought, oh, comedy is a thing I would like to to do? Oh, that was like eight, eight years old. Okay, watching SNL. And were, did you grow up in Berkeley? Is that right? Berkeley, California. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I would watch. I would sneak into the TV room and watch SNL. Who was the cast? Lovitz, Carvey, Hartman, mm-hmm. uh, Jan Hooks. That era. Mm-hmm. That was my first cast, um, and then. I would say, I mean, the only time it ever dropped off a little for me was, like, the beginning of the Feral, O'Terry, Shannon era. Mm-hmm. But then I got into that really, really hot as well. It was just, you know, like, your first two years of college, you stop watching SNL a little bit. Yeah. Because you're going out, and there was no TiVo then. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you saying we weren't able to just consume when things whenever we wanted? That was the case. It really was not that long ago. It was not. Even I mean, when we first moved to L.A., not even when we first moved to L.A., me and Akiva were recording SNLs on VHS until, like, 2004. Holy crap. I mean, it's we when we, like, met Farrell and met Fred Armisen and Will Forte, we were like, we watched your, your sketches on VHS on repeat <laughs> over and over again until we memorized them. And they were like, that was, like, last week. <laughs> like, I know. They weren't online. There was no online content. It, it just happened. You guys, we just we just got it, tumbled under the wave. It couldn't handle video. It wasn't fast enough. So how do you think, uh, how do you think the Internet has changed comedy? I mean, listen, to talk about the Internet – Sometimes it gets a little monotonous because it's sort of like, I get it. It's responsible for everything. <laughs> the internet is this weird, amorphous digigod that is completely. But but for you as a as a comic and as a and as a consumer of comedy, how has it how has it changed since since you started? Um. Well, I mean, one of the things we, we obviously get asked about internet stuff a lot because of our timing with everything. Just because oh, you I've, mean how you fucking killed it and all? Yeah, how you <laughs> but, fucking destroyed? But my point is, like, I don't think, I don't think that 
the actual quality or content has changed in comedy. It's just there's now another way for you to find comedy. Like right. uh, one of our new cast members, Jay Farrow, is just a killer impressionist. And he was basically found on the internet as far as I know. I mean, I know he did stand-up and stuff. But when they told us, like, oh, yeah, they're considering this guy, take a look at his, you know, YouTube video. Oh, my God. And it's just him in, literally in his bedroom doing a bunch of impressions. And you're just like, oh, this dude's super talented. Now, that's insane because <clears throat> in the old days of SNL, it was uh, – I remember you had, you pretty much had to go through the Groundlings program. Exactly. And that took years and yeah. thousands of dollars. Abs- and and it still does. Yeah. But I'll also say this. Uh, we still hire people from Groundlings too, and they come in and they are ready to rock. Like, like Kristen Wiig was a, a Groundling for many years. Yeah, and if you watch her audition, it's like eight fully formed characters, and they've all been on the show, and they all kill. You know, it's like a, it's just a different way of approaching it. It is, but it's all you know. I remember being at, uh, uh, I remember being at the streamy, the streamy awards last year. And, and <laughs> Tell I, me more. Well, are you intrigued? <laughs> Are you intrigued with my luxurious lifestyle? <laughs> and uh, what was interesting is to see, and I, I know I've talked about this in the podcast before, but it was interesting to see, you know, guys like uh, Hubel and Paul Shear yeah. um, uh, and John Daly juxtaposed with, quote unquote, internet comedians. Right. And, I mean, you could see that while, while some dudes could, you know, be funny in front of their webcam – it's like, well, there's there was a little bit of an emptiness, like next right. to dudes who were like so trained. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like any job. You build your skill set. There's a different level of confidence, a different level of awareness, a different level of knowing how to find the lens. Mm-hmm. You know, as small of things as that. Uh, and you know, I I think you can see that difference in in people, but it's also just. You can get discovered a new way now is mm-hmm. really my only point. Like there's Groundlings, there's Stand Up, there's Second City, there's UCB now is really big, yep. and there's the internet, you know. And one of the common misconceptions about us, about The Lonely Island, is that we were discovered on the internet because we actually weren't. I mean, it was a handoff of a VHS tape is how we got agents and uh, working with Jimmy Fallon and Mike Shoemaker and Steve Higgins who were – SNL producers mm-hmm. on the MTV Movie Awards is how we got recommended to the show. And I had done stand-up, and my audition was a lot of stand-up and stuff I made up, th- like, two weeks before the audition. So. Oh, yeah. What was your SNL audition like? How did it go? Uh, I mean, obviously it went well. But it I went mean, well. I mean, like, it went well. It was, like, it was very silly. <laughs> uh, I did... You're supposed to do like impressions and characters, and I kind of, I basically had none. <laughs> um, so I did like... I did a lot of just stand-up, you know, and sort of tried to show how I was a dumbass mm-hmm. in what fashion. <laughs> was there uh, any music? I don't think there was any music. I tried to do – we did this video called Ross Trent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one. It's like a white reggae guy. But I tried to do that as like a sketch character, and I recorded a theme song for it that played – before I did the character, and it did not work. <laughs> it, it was like that's a perfect, a perfect way of describing how I've managed to work at the show. Which is when I tried to do it that way, it was like no, and I was like, well, let me just show you what I mean by doing this video with my friends. <laughs> that's <laughs> and then, me. And, and then yeah, uh, but you know, I, I conjured some impressions and just sort of made up some characters 
heading into it and spruce those in with the stand-up. When you finished the audition, were you did you feel like chest bump time or was it oh, I don't know how that went? After the first I did it twice. Okay. The first one I went in and I was just so freaked out to be in the building. Mm-hmm. I I swear to you, I I was going into it being like, well, I'm not going to get it, but it's pretty crazy that I'm going to be able to tell my kids someday that I auditioned for SNL. And then I finished, and I was like, that seemed like people laughed a little bit. Like, I I don't think I could have done any better with what I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So I feel proud of myself. I'm not going to get it, but great. And then they said that they liked me, and they wanted to have me come back. And I was like, fuck, because that was all my material. <laughs> so, <laughs> same stuff? Like the same stuff. All eight minutes of my material. Uh, and they actually said, just come back and do the same stuff. Oh, and I was like, oh, great. That's no problem. And then three days before the second audition, I got a call saying, hey, they want you to do new stuff. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I just locked myself in a room for three days and came up with a bunch of new shit and like put myself on tape and sent it to friends and had them give me critique and just went in with what I came up with, which in retrospect was a perfect way to audition a person for that show because every single week it's like Thursday or Friday and all of a sudden you get a call being like, hey, you know, Julianne Margulies is in town and wants to do something, (laughs) you know, put it together, you know, not literally her, but... (laughs) That would be awesome. But, you know, that's that's the way the job is. You you have to think on the fly constantly. And a lot of the stuff I came up with was probably the funniest stuff in the audition because it was fresh. And I just had no choice but to do it and make it work. Did any of it make the show? Yeah. One, the last thing I did in my second audition was this really stupid bit called the Out of Breath Jogger from 1982, which was basically just me in super short shorts. Uh, out of breath yelling out things that happened in 1982 <laughs> and I actually did do it on the show my first season but yeah it was just like all it was very stupid I mean I, I remember growing up and and thinking SNL was like oh my god that's the thing I want you know because I mean I, I, I watched SNL in, in the old, in the early days and you know Steve Martin and yeah and uh, and I always thought that's what I want to do. And then having gotten older and had friends who wrote on the show and who were on the show, they're like, "It's grueling." <laughs> like, how do you how do you not uh, how do you not uh, fill your pants with shit when you get that last minute <laughs> call about Juliana Margulies? Like, what's the what 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 is the tone each week? Do you feel like a all right? Let's just uh, put on the waiting boots and get in it. Yeah, it's like you have no choice. So. In the beginning, it definitely, you definitely freak out and think to yourself that there's no way it's possible. And then once you go through it a few times, it becomes more of like a, you go into crisis mode. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, this is what, you know what I mean? You're like the mom pulling the car off the kid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like there's, it's either this or it's, uh, we're dead <laughs> or that's it. Yeah. Um, we often make the the sort of war metaphor with SNL where you're like in the trenches mm-hmm. together because it's it's also very akin to like a sporting event yeah. uh, in its own way. Just time pressure, performing in front of an audience. It's happening live. You're basically workshopping sketches every week in front of millions of people. Like Kinda, the, yeah. the, the concept of that seems horrifying to me. It is. It's very scary. But, I mean, once you've done something that works – 
you kind of are set free to fail, I think. Right. Because, I mean, the the very definition of the show is that it's a variety show. There's going to be things that work. There's going to be sure. things that don't work. And sometimes you're re- doing a sketch that you wrote that's your baby that, you know, you have a lot invested in creatively. And sometimes you're just reading someone else's words and giving it the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after you've done enough of them – you realize that no matter what you do, sometimes it's not going to work. Right. You know, no matter what. Even if something kills a dress, it might bomb on air. You know, it's just different group of 300 people that come into that studio. Uh, so you kind of just say, fuck it. <laughs> and, like, you know, obviously you stay as focused as you can, do your best, you know, try and really squeeze jokes out of what you got, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it's, it's yeah, it's it's just kind of a thing of – you do it because you have to do it, and it's happening at that moment. So you, you just go. Do you think? And do you think the people who are who are doing internet based comedy does that train them well for a situation like SNL? Because when you're doing internet stuff, it's sort of like, yeah, you're on your own schedule. You don't really have to. You know, you make stuff when you feel. You put it up when you feel like it. Yeah. Like you don't really. You kind of get spoiled. I mean, do you feel like that kind of screws people up for for more structured comedy environments? Yeah, although I'll say I don't really know anywhere else that works the way SNL works. Uh, You know, I guess places like The Daily Show and Mm -hmm. and Late Night Shows where they have to produce every day. Mm -hmm. You know, that's those are the only other places really that have that same kind of pressure. Uh, And performance-wise, it's not live. Um, so it's, you know, a little different, but excuse me. Um, I think people that do like a highly regimented internet, you know, schedule where they force themselves to produce Mm -hmm. probably are better equipped to come in and do SNL. But I mean, transitioning from doing internet stuff into the show for us was extremely stressful and still is sometimes of like, we had to get over the fact that sometimes we would be told that we had to do an idea we weren't 100% excited about, you know? And that happens every now and again where you're just like, oh, I'd much rather not do a sketch this week, or I I would much rather not take all this energy and put it into this digital short because I just don't know if I believe in the premise. And you're told, no, you're doing it, you know? (laughs) You better learn to believe. Yeah, and especially, like... We, I feel like we owe that to Lauren because he lets us do whatever we want yep. with the shorts. So some weeks he's like, hey, yeah, I know you're tired and you think that you're not making a short, but you're making one, you know? And it's been a very – it's it, especially coming from the that same background of the internet of being like, well, yeah, and if we don't like it, we won't post it, you know? Right. It, it'll just go away. And with SNL, it's his show – it's his YouTube channel, if you will. Right. So he's the one who decides if it's getting posted or not. Well, I guess you did. You guys had pretty. I mean, you guys did Channel One Hundred and One. We did, which I, was great training. I for remember. You. I remember going to those Channel One Hundred and One screenings at Cinespace and seeing the, fun. the boo. Which <laughs> <laughs> is awesome. Oh my god, I love meeting uh, Josh Schwartz after making the boo. He's the guy who created the OC. Uh huh. And just talking about it, <laughs> explaining to him how much we loved the OC. And he's like, yeah, no, I could tell. <laughs> he's like, there's like a crazy level of detail. No, when we put the cartoon squirrel screaming at people about the 3D glasses, that was a tribute. It was a tribute to Peter Gallagher. It weirdly was. It weirdly was. <laughs> so who's who came up with the idea of of, of framing you guys? Um, because the digital shorts are, are you know, essentially 
a, the smart way to hybridize internet and, and television? <laughs> was that did you go to Lauren and say, "Hey, just give us our own segment," or did he? Did you do one and then he said, "Aha, that's what you should be doing." Uh, closer to the latter. It was we had done a bunch of that stuff. We had our website and uh, you know the producers Higgins and Shoemaker had mm-hmm. seen that stuff. Um, it actually, you know, they had mentioned to us, you know, we, we always are looking for pre-taped material because when you have an act and you have two sketches in it, they need a pre-tape to change over the sets and change over costumes. Right. Um, that's pretty much how it first started was they just needed to change sets and costumes. (laughs) (laughs) We need you to distract people while we uh, move the plants. Yeah. They were looking for kind of anything. To put in that space. Um, Akiva and Yorma, I had gone to L.A. to do a bunch of meetings in your face. <laughs> and, uh, Whoa, and, Hollywood. And they did this this video for this uh, idea that we had had for a while, which ended up being the Bing Bong Brothers, which was like a yin-yang twins mm-hmm. parody. Uh, and they shot it, you know, we edited it, finished it, brought it in and showed it to Higgins and Shoemaker. And we were like, hey, you know, would you ever air this? And they said, you know, we can't because we have a ton of new cast and it's a little weird to put non-cast on the show because it was just Keevan Yorm in it. Mm-hmm. They're like, but if you guys want to do more stuff like this, we would love to have pre-tape stuff, mm-hmm. especially on the cheap, like how you guys did this. Um, so we took that and went out with Will Forte and did the first digital short, which was Lettuce, which was based on an idea that Will had, which is like a basically a very dramatic conversation had while eating, really vigorously eating giant heads of lettuce. Uh, And we shot that on literally on me and Akiva's apartment stoop with like a mini DV camera Um, and brought it in and showed it to them. They were like, yeah, maybe. And they put it in dress and it got laughs and they put it on air. (laughs) Like, holy shit, (laughs) that just aired on television. Like six million people just watched that. (laughs) Uh, So they're like, yeah, keep them coming if you guys want. That's great. Uh, Because it's, you know, for them it was incredibly cost effective and it filled that gap. Right. Um, So then we did the second one, which was called Peyote, which didn't air that week because it was too similar to Lettuce, but aired at the end of the season. And then the third one was Lazy Sunday. And then after that, they were like, yeah, keep making them. I mean, Lazy Sunday is so much fun to watch because it's such a great it's such a great piece. But then uh, – but the experience of – and then that's also something you don't get on the internet. But the experience of listening to the SNL audience right. go fucking berserk <laughs> during, the, during the piece and then after the piece. Right. You don't – I mean, you don't, don't get – you don't get that feedback. No, you don't. It's crazy, man. Watching the shorts in the studio when they work is – the most exhilarating feeling I think I've ever had in my comedy world. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had some really good nights of stand-up, and I've had some really great moments live at SNL, but I still haven't had a feeling comparable to, like, at, right after Dick in a Box ended. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Standing on the floor and listening to the crowd just be like, oh, it worked. Like, that really worked. It crushed. Yeah. And you won an Emmy. <laughs> and I won an Emmy. We won an Emmy. I love the Dick in a Box one. <laughs> Does it say Dick in a Box on the Emmy? It absolutely That's does. fantastic. It's the best. <laughs> and I think, didn't Sarah Silverman win for fucking Matt Damon? Like, in, uh, like Sarah. Oh, did she? 
Yeah, I think it was like the year after was fucking. I'm fucking Matt Damon. <laughs> I love that. So great. I love. I love that. So you. So the. I love that they. That the, the Emmys at least are cool enough to be like, all right, this really deserves <laughs> the win, even though it's about a dick in a box. <laughs> we got to give it to him. I can't help but feel like Timberlake's involvement helped. Well, but I mean, like he 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 might have helped. He might have helped sell it for sure. Right. But it's a solid premise. I mean, it's a solid <laughs> premise, and it's. It's, it's, and a solid gift idea. <laughs> a really and a really great gift idea. <laughs> the only problem, the only problem that you may have, is dudes uh, running up with uh, their dicks in boxes mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey, is, remember when you did this thing?" I've had one, and it was not his actual dick, but a dude. I was on Halloween, and a guy saw me in a bar and was like, "Dude, no way! Check it out!" And lifted up the box, and there was just a giant dildo in the box. <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, you're not showing this to people, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, why? I was like, you, you're you going to get arrested. Will you sign my dick <laughs> in this box? And we also heard a story about a guy who did it to a woman coworker at work and got fired. <laughs> do not attempt these at work. Please do not. Yeah. Put your, you have to do this at the yeah, We Someone asked about that. Like, do you feel, like, responsible? I was like, I, that's a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> that was a guy who wanted any reason to show his that dick. That guy was going to gonna snap yeah. sooner or later. It was either going to be that or he's going to be like, Susan, look at my dick. Like, <laughs> he's going to be like, he's going to see a Land O'Lakes commercial and show up with his cock and a margarine. He's like, look. Oh, Land O'Lakes. Look what you made that guy do. Uh, what I, I'm, I'm curious what the feeling is like because – more people see the videos that you're making total than watch any of television. I mean, like, so is is it is does it hurt more? Does it hurt more if something doesn't work online or if it doesn't work on television or does it feel better on on either one? Like, wh- wh- how do you how do you categorize it emotionally? It hurts more when it doesn't work on SNL for me, mm-hmm. just because you can hear it not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on YouTube, it's a very like quiet, you know low view count. Right. But you still can know that it's finding the people who like it. That's the cool thing about online is if something is not for everyone, not everyone's going to watch it. You know? Like, it'll just find the people who are like, oh, this is great because they'll send it to their friends and people searching for whatever it brings them to that, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, Whereas at SNL, it's that same 300 people in the studio, generally around 6 million at home. You know they're watching, <laughs> and you know that you know that the people in the studio are basically just a megaphone for the people at home. They generally are, yeah. I mean, there's certainly the thing with SNL that we always try to remind ourselves of, which is when we were watching it, our favorite sketches were always the last two sketches of the night that were super crazy balls that the audience was like silent through. <laughs> were they experimenting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or so, they were just like, we have to fill five more minutes. Yeah. So we try and like when 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 that's what we are any given week, we're like. You know what? Good. Like, we're still hopefully appealing to the us's of the world. Yeah. That, that, you know, and I think it's important to do whatever's making you laugh that week, you know, instead of always trying to be like, make the biggest thing ever. Because if you try to make the biggest thing ever every week, then it just starts getting shitty. Right. It's just what it, I would say, not once when we've made something that was a bigger thing, quote unquote, were we trying. It's always just like, oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> is that how you guys? Is that how you guys write? Is that is that your process? Is that yeah. is that sort of how you? Yeah, I mean, so, like with making songs now, 
you can be like, oh, there's a certain kind of beat that we're going to buy for this song, and you hear the beat, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a big pop song. So if it's funny enough, it, it has more potential for it maybe. Yeah. But even then, you don't know what is going to be the one that people actually, like, care about. You just have to be like, I think that's funny enough to pursue. <laughs> and then you just, have to, you just have to hope that you're guessing right. Exactly. Totally. I, I mean, mean, you guys are pretty much fucking rock stars. and I mean, like, <laughs> hip-hop stars now. Because, you know, you watch, you watch uh, I'm on a Boat or Dick in a Boat. Any of them, they're super catchy and, like, you, they're, they're good songs. Thanks. So do you, because I have this idea that, you know, all rock stars want to be comedians and all comedians want to be rock stars. <laughs> so do, do you ever feel... Because you guys must you guys must tour to to promote the album, or do you have time to tour? We don't have time. Oh, we, you don't have time to tour. We really, really wanna. Oh, you guys would crush it on the road. <laughs> you would fucking destroy. Oh, I know, man. I, I we would hope to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I I hope to God you get to do that sometime, and you get to see you get to see the impact live rather than just it's, you know. It's been really that's been really difficult. We we uh, we did I'm on a boat on Fallon mm-hmm. with, with the Roots, which was amazing. And then I did Lazy Sunday with Parnell on Fallon, mm-hmm. and that's oh. And then one time I we performed one time live. Uh, because I hosted a night at the New York Comedy Festival and had a bunch of stand-ups that were like friends of mine come do stuff, and we closed it out by doing uh, I Ran So Far and I'm on a Boat. Wow. It, and it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, at, the, at this point especially, you know, now that you guys are working on the second album. Yeah. I, I mean, we'd love to. The, pr- the problem for us is it's not, as long as I'm working at SNL, it's not our day job. Right. You know, like it has to, it's, it's kind of the same job because we have so much of the music on the show. But I mean, we were talking about the same thing the other day about Twitter of like someone who is just a musician and all they do is tour and then record and tweet. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's their one thing they focus on. Whereas we have the show, which is all consuming. Then you have off weeks and you're working on the album or reading scripts to try and make movies, Mm -hmm. or going and doing, like, some awesome guest spot on Parks and Rec for me, or, you know, like, when you're doing five different things, it... It's really hard to get a full tour up and running, basically. (laughs) Like, we have the summers, and since we've been at SNL, we spent one summer shooting Hot Rod, Mm -hmm. the next summer promoting Hot Rod... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was your tour. That was the tour. Third summer, making our first album. Fourth summer, Yorma directed MacGruber, mm-hmm. so we couldn't tour then. Uh, and then last summer, making our second album. Wow. So, so, And then everything else is SNL. So, and, you know, we don't want to do a tour unless we can make sure that the tour is actually entertaining, you know, that we do a live show that's good. You know, right. there's so many hip-hop shows that I've been to growing up where I was just like, God, I love this album, but this show just stinks. Right. I mean, and rock rock shows for, for that matter as well, but for us to make it a live thing, for, for us to make it worth it, for people to come out and see us, we really want to make sure we figure out a way to make it engaging and interesting. Like, we're not 
Tenacious D and that they shred on guitar. Right. And Jack can really sing, you know? So you can come and watch that and love the songs and hear, like, wow, that is what the album sounds like. Yeah, but you can actually rap, though. So, I mean, like, it's, I, I know, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a small comedy band. I get I get the sort of backdoor <laughs> to, like, oh, I want to sneak in this thing that I've always yeah, wanted yeah, to do. Yeah. But it has to be comedy because I could never do it seriously. Of course, of course. But and you're still, you're still, technically you're still good at it, though. So I mean, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll never back down on this one. We we are a comedy act, right? Uh, we do have to. We definitely try our hardest to make the song sound legitimate. Because I think it's better that you have that point of view, though, for for, for your comedy <laughs> growth. I think it's better that you're not like. Guys, I think we could take. I think we can make a go of this. But there's nothing more of a bummer than when your favorite comedy musical act starts getting a little less funny, you know, and like taking the edge off, and you, where you can tell they kind of are like, and then here's like a serious song. My girl wants to party all the time. <laughs> party what? All the time. Although that song is the fucking jam. <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we put that on the other day. We were like, God damn, this is the beat. <laughs> I remember not being able to work out that song when I was a kid. Like I don't like thinking that there was gonna be a joke at the end and I'm like I don't understand it literally tore my tiny brain a, in half it's a perfect example of it for sure you're like you when you when Eddie Murphy makes a song you want it to be funny that's how you know him but I will say looking back it's a really good song <laughs> <laughs> you guys should say for, some, for somebody who has no perspective on Eddie Murphy like some a, some kid now yeah. if they didn't know in context you just heard it and you're like yeah this is like a song from the era of cameo <laughs> you're like yeah that's a fucking really good cameo song <laughs> <laughs> or you could tell kids now, like, yeah, he was just a musician, and then he, he just you could reverse the timeline. And then oh he started God. doing comedy. That would be the only instance of that ever. <laughs> oh, no, I guess Armisen. Fred was a musician. Oh, Fred is a phenomenal musician. Yeah. He's an incredible drummer. He's great. He's great. And now just completely comedy. Oh, my God. I mean, I remember doing shows with Armisen before pre-SNL. I remember doing shows with Armisen, and he would go up at Largo in full, like, he did the Prince character, yeah. and he did it in full costume, and then, like, drew the oh, beard wow, on, yeah. and he would do that stuff as his stand-up, and it was... He's a machine. The guy's incredible. That dude has more bits than anyone I've ever met. I wonder, <laughs> do you think Do you think internet comedy, because, uh, you know, I see a lot of, it's, it's a sort of dividing line between, I don't know, like, meme-based comedy or nutshots versus... Right. You know, like like memes and nutshots tend to get more views than people who actually try. Right. You're one of the few examples of people who try and they actually get more views. <laughs> but you know, what do you what do you sort of think the distinction is between for you know, like if I'm a young comedy group, is it easier for me to just be like, all right, let's just kick ourselves in the nuts as opposed to trying to make something funny? No, I think I think attention to detail goes a long way on the internet. Uh, I think that maybe is one of the overlooked things. There's there's different kind. I mean. The there's a reason that the Bed Intruder song has more views than the original Bed Intruder footage. You know, like there's something to hang on to there. The, there's Double Rainbow, and you can't account for that. There'll be one or two of those every year, no right. matter what, just because there's crazy stuff happening in the world, and, right. it's, and it's fucking funny. You know, uh, but I think people more and more appreciate quality in their internet content. You know, and it's kind of just the same thing as what we were talking about before, which is if it's funny, it doesn't really matter where you see it. Right. You know, if if you're doing something that's funny and original, people will find it and they'll like it because that's just human nature. <laughs> <laughs> and it also – the internet also does prove 
no, no, no. Good sketch comedy is really hard to write. <laughs> Endings are impossible to write. How do yeah. you get out of a good premise? It's hard, yeah. I mean, it shouldn't look hard. Right. It should feel easy, but oftentimes does not. <laughs> are, there, are, do you, are there examples of stuff that you can think of that you guys were thought, oh, this will be a great short, and then you started doing it, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, I think... Like specifically ones that were on SNL or stuff. Yeah, do you have are there are there any are there any uh, are there any ones that you really enjoyed from that actually kind of ended up in the reject bin? You're like shit. We really we thought we could make that work, and then it just I don't know. There's God. I don't want to sell them out in case people like them, but <laughs> <laughs> certainly uh, we did the second one we did with Shia LaBeouf was this sort of like country song mm-hmm. called "The Best Look in the World." Yeah, uh, which is all about like uh, a dude wearing. A long shirt, no pants, and <laughs> high socks. Yeah. Uh, and I still really like it in premise, but it just, I just don't think we nailed it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's been a few others too. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a few that, you know, are not our proudest moments, but, you know, they exist and they, they all have something redeeming about them, I like to think. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. I mean, I don't think people understand that a lot of things have to come together for a, Sketch to work. Yeah. Like, a lot of different elements. Well, also for us, if you think about the level of production we're dealing with and locations, shooting, wardrobe, hair, makeup, all coming together and working, if we're writing something oftentimes Thursday, sometimes Friday, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some shorts we wrote Friday night and shot Friday night. Jesus. And edited Friday night into Saturday, and then they fucking aired. You know what (laughs) I mean? And they're there. Yeah, and... I mean, you know, it's SNL. People should hold it to the highest standard, but sometimes that's how it goes down, and it doesn't always make for the best thing. And sometimes you get lucky, and it is great, you know, and people really do like it, but you just never know when you're in it in such a time-constrained way that it's either going to work or it's not, but there's nothing you can really do about it. I wonder if in that, from that point of view, I wonder if, if, if SNL is the most internet-like show on television. <laughs> I mean, like, just in that sense of, like, yeah. hey, we got, you know, we got no time, and we got to bang this out, and, right. you know, like, we put it up, and some work, and some don't. I mean, it's certainly naturally geared to the internet because it's so modular. Mm-hmm. You know, it's short little pops. Uh, and in a way, that's great, because the things that really work on the show are allowed to have this great afterlife online. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the way down to, like, there was this Nintendo Wii sketch that they did a few seasons ago with Alec Baldwin where it like looked like they were jerking off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was a sketch that was like really late in the show. Uh, we all loved it. The crowd really went for it. But it was like, you know, an end of the show kind of a sketch. And now is like one of the most viewed sketches on Hulu, you know, and they don't show numbers, so who knows what that means. But it's... It was something that for the live show sort of was relegated to the end of the show because it was very dirty, mm-hmm. but clearly killed. And then now online has been proven to be a hit. And how know? does that resonate through the television executives? Are they like, oh, we need to do more of that? Are they like, ah, it's the internet? I think, I think they say, yeah, it's the internet. But for the people who wrote that sketch and performed that sketch, it's, huge. it's great. It's like, oh yeah, we knew this was good. <laughs> I mean, if, do, do you think do you think the internet will ever get the respect that television has or or film has, or is it always going to be like, eh, but it's the internet? Like when Google TV becomes a thing, 
I'm and you're a, watching television, internet television. Not, look at the respect. I would not to go all like 1984 on it, but I think that that will happen when they merge. I think there'll be a moment where you have everything just on one device, mm-hmm. and networks will maybe become internet as well. You know, I don't. I don't see them coexisting like this forever. It seems like a sort of faulty model, mm-hmm. um, especially because everyone who watches TV is being dragged away from their TV onto their computer now. Right. I mean, half the time I watch TV, my computer's open. Right. So, I think just at some point, technology will pair them. <laughs> I mean, I would. I would imagine that that what what from an from a a commercial stem standpoint. They would want you to be able to watch television, see a product in in the room on a show, yeah. and then you can freeze it, click on the product, and buy it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the kind of shit they want to happen. Yeah, I bet you that will happen. That's a really good idea. <laughs> but I, <laughs> Oh, my God. I just gave away a billion-dollar industry idea. I mean, I also have this idea uh, with uh, – because I've, now that I've been doing this podcast a while, and you know, so many comics are doing podcasts, yeah. and it's uh, the, 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 this idea, and it's not a super original idea, but that podcasts are the new comedy albums. Oh wow, yeah. But you know, which is funny because when I when I was younger and people's attention spans were longer, a comic would do you know two three three albums maybe in their lifetime, and yeah. now now it feels like consumers are so voracious yes. that you have to keep sating them like week after week yeah. after week with new with new stuff. It's true. I mean, there's. I think there's a there's different approaches. I definitely feel like what you're talking about I'm also engaged in now because we produce so much content. Mm-hmm. But I also still believe that there you're able to be someone who only shows up with something when you think it's great. And I don't know. It's an argument to be had. I don't I really don't know the answer. You know, we we had in the past always been like really into just letting the work speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh and I always had said, like, since we got SNL, I didn't like to do press unless I had something that I was talking about, you know, because just sort of self-promotion just to be famous and stuff always kind of bugged us. That's so un-American of you. <laughs> no, the American dream is to be famous for nothing. <laughs> That's what but, people want. But you know what I mean. Like, and now I feel like with Twitter, it's it's not something to even – look down on you know it's just the way it is like everyone is just constantly like i took a shit i had a sandwich you know it's like it the floodgates are wide wide open and that's kind of the norm now right um but yeah i I don't know what is better in terms of like (laughs) you gotta just feel it out i guess do you think do you think twitter and you know the social media is good for comics i think i think it's great for comics Mm -hmm. i don't know that it's good for actors (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Here's my opinion on stuff. Yeah, like, like oh, because like, oh, I don't know. For me, the mystery of rock stars and actors is you are allowed to believe that they're cooler. You know, right? They're as cool or as large as in, larger than life. They're not as, supposed to have human problems as their music or their characters in their movies. Comedians, you're buying their perspective, so as much of that as possible if you're into it, you know. And also comedians are insecure enough to be comedians, so chances are if they're tweeting, they're going to think of something funny to tweet. Right. Because <laughs> they, it's the same way we move through life, which is, oh, i got to be funny so you like me. <laughs> Please like me. Why would you like me? Exactly. Why'd you say, did so, I say something? He yeah. doesn't like me. For me, I'm like, I'm not going to tweet unless I feel like I am going to have time and energy to make it good. 
So you you definitely you you don't, you don't sort of do the uh, you don't use it as status updates. You like to use it as an actual comedy outlet. Well, I actually don't do it. You don't do it at all. No, we have like a Lonely Island Twitter that sends out information. Okay. Um, but we've you know we've been talking more about if we had time to do funny stuff with it that it'd be really fun to do. Yeah. Um, it's just you know super busy, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to float out junk. So yeah. Um, Boy, that that is that is also a very unique point of view with the because the internet it almost seems like some stuff the shittier it is the more people want to see it with with some of the stuff online right and it almost like it has to it like it has to look purposely shitty and be a guy in his bedroom that doesn't know how to edit <laughs> and do you think that's because by and large you know masses of people just relate to that more and it doesn't seem commercial and so they feel like they're hanging out with a with a dumb kid uh I really don't know I don't either you mean like. Like you just see a guy just making like in front of his webcam, like man, making uh, yeah. <laughs> and like that. It's like, it's like that great sketch that uh, Human Giant did, where uh, um, oh yeah, Rob Kubel cuts his, his dick God, off. Damn, that was funny. And then Aziz is just like, oh, I can make any voice room. He's like, I cut <laughs> off my dick. He's like, yeah, but look at that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we it was were, a very very sharp uh, commentary we on our culture. We definitely related to that sketch. <laughs> <laughs> like, but we uh, we try we put in all this work. <laughs> oh, come on! But no, I, I mean we have nothing to complain about. It's it's there's always going to be that. Yeah, you know, and there always has been that in in one way, shape, or form. I think, uh, and you got to just. <laughs> You gotta just believe that it'll be worth it in the end because you'll look back and say, I'm proud of what I did. Yeah. And we did it. We worked hard and we focused on it and really made it as good as we could instead of, you know, cashing in. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do, you think, do you think there's anything to the idea that, that you know, with, with the, the wealth of the sum total of human comedy available at all times, do you feel like that it – forces you to be a little more competitive and like, oh, shit, now that we actually see everything that's out there, we actually have to try harder than we would have 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think you are compelled to try and do things faster because now it's like literally anyone in the world can come up with an idea mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe their idea will be a shittier version of yours, but if they do it first, it's just annoying. You can't do it, yeah. <laughs> So-and-so already did this in the thing. Yeah, oh, we get that a lot. A lot of times you do something and they're like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of this. And they you know, show a link or whatever. And it is going to happen. There's a lot of people trying to do comedy. People are going to have the same ideas. There's only this one world to be inspired with right. ideas from. You know? Right. And it happens at SNL all the time. You know, People are like, oh, yeah, so-and-so accused me of stealing the sketch and da-da-da. And it's like. I I hate to break it to people, but we're not like scouring the internet looking for like obscure <laughs> sketch ideas. It's you just don't not, have time to do this. Yeah, it's just not how it works. And we've experienced it a million times over before we worked at SNL where we had stuff we shot and then we'd see it like in a movie or on a sketch show and we'd be like, oh shit, that's just like our idea. But it's it's not stolen. Right. Like it's – that's not how it works. I guarantee that. Uh, but – um. I mean, back to the <laughs> original question more, uh, the, it doesn't make you feel competitive necessarily, but I do feel like things are over faster mm-hmm. because there's so much content being produced that all the sites 
will even if something is something people really love, it's there's only so long of a cycle that an internet video can have now. Right. I think it gets shorter and shorter because there's more and more content and more and more things to sort of funnel through and everyone wants to just put something new up more and more because it draws more and more. Um, and even things that people love, I feel like when something reaches this certain level of success online, there's the inevitable everyone turning on it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, and then it becomes, you know, it's just like a hit movie or something. Yeah. You know, like I remember there was that moment when like pretending to be Austin Powers became the like sarcastic comedian's joke. <laughs> right. You know, or Borat or something. That's, you know, you know, you know when like when people, when, when people, when, when just like regular folks who work in offices are quoting those things that like doing yes. those characters at parties. Yeah. And you're like, all right, it has reached critical mass. Exactly. And that's when it's funny to be like, making fun of the person who likes that. Right. You know what I mean? Who got to the party late. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, it's because those things are great and they get huge because they're great. And then it's just, you know, it was like, I remember when, this is kind of a not totally on topic, but I remember watching Outcast do that song, Hey Ya, mm-hmm. on the Grammys. And it was, Andre was like, now for the last time... <laughs> Hey, uh, damn it. And he was like, oh, this dude is fucking sick he of this song. He, he is over it. And I remember when I first heard that song, being like, this song is the shit. Oh, my God. And then within like two months being like, I never want to hear this song again. <laughs> but it it started off as what it is, which is a great song. And I'll hear that song when I'm like 80 in a supermarket and be like, oh, good old hey. Uh. <laughs> but, but in that moment, like things just get so fucking big that they turn over and I feel like that happens with online videos 100% and the turnover is getting faster and faster. I just I just you just made me think of that feeling. It's that feeling that you get when someone unironically is doing like an Austin Powers and you just <laughs> you just kind of feel your stomach tighten a little bit and you're like, "Oh god, no one told them." Yeah. Oh Jesus, like now if, if still. You're not, if you're not Mike Myers, don't do it's it. 2011. <laughs> 2011. It's actually probably be okay to go back and start doing Wayne's World catchphrases again because then that would be like Oh, it's like retro. Dude, I feel f- I feel okay talking about this because this is about comedy. He came back when Carvey hosted and they did a Wayne's World and it was fucking awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Watching a Wayne's World live was a serious, serious like pinch me moment. It was so cool. That's insane. We've had some crazy stuff this season in terms of that for me, just personally. Like Paul McCartney was on the show and it was like in a digital short. I was like standing there with Paul McCartney. <laughs> Can you even process that? Or you're just like, so, this, I'm watching this happen from another vantage point. <laughs> this isn't yeah. really me. You feel like you're watching it from above for sure. Like just, that's me and I'm standing next to Paul McCartney. And like there's fucking Wayne and Garth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They're doing, they're saying, it's time to party. Now see, this is what's so great about this is that you're telling me about this Wayne's World sketch. It must have, obviously it's already been on. Yeah. You saw it. Uh, but, A few shows ago. But, um, uh, now in my head, I'm like, oh, I'll just run to the internet and watch that. When, yeah. you know, f- even five years ago, I've been like, fuck, I got to wait till they rerun that in totally. six months. Totally. Absolutely. Has that ruined people's appreciation of comedy? Uh, I mean, of, of, of the real craft. Of, like, do we just take it for granted? Now? God, I fucking hope not. <laughs> no, I mean, but. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think. I think it allows more people to access it, but I think it kind of – I think 
shelf life maybe maybe expires faster for some things mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, similar to what we were talking about a second ago, when we used to record stuff on VHS and watch it, it was you had to rewind it and rewatch it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was. I know that's like a <laughs> that's like hardly an old man like in my day, but like kind of though now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so easy to rewatch things that a, th- a sketch that you maybe would like be so excited they were running the rerun of that episode when I was a kid. Be like, oh, they're rerunning the episode where they did Massive Head Wound Harry. I get to see it again. Right. You know, you you hold that in such regard. It was so like unattainable. It was such a like special thing whereas so it could last longer and last longer in your memory is something special whereas now you just watch it 20 times if you're into it until you burn out on it right and then you're on to the next thing but hopefully it's something that you always the thing i try and remember and hope for is the things i was that into when i was younger or even you know in college or out of college the things of snl that i was obsessed with that i would watch over and over again no matter what I still always hold them like dear. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm still like, God, that thing made me really laugh at one time in my life and I will never forget that. Like I I would hope that even with the internet that it still has that effect on people. I'm sure it I mean it has to because, you know, there's there's always a new there's always a new crop of young people who love comedy that see something that changes their worldview of like, oh, you can do that with comedy? Right. Like, there's still... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. never... I, I mean, I don't think that's never going to go away. Yeah. But do would you... Do you think you would rather... Would you rather have, um, like, in a, in a year, would you rather have one massive hit internet video or would you rather do, like, 12, one a month that that got okay reception? Like, not bad. Yeah. Not amazing. Do you think the consistency or, like, the mega bomb quality of one is more important? Me personally or someone trying to be on the internet? Nah, just let's say you. <laughs> what would you? I'd rather have the 12 at this point, I think. Well, that's a tough call. I really don't it know. It is, right? I really don't know. Maybe the mega bomb one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd, rather, I'd rather have the 12. I'd rather have the 12. You'd rather have the 12? I think so, just because the mega bomb one... It's you know I think there's a lot of expect because because the thing about the thing about internet hit videos that I always think of is um, uh, my my buddy Mike Furman and I made a, a this thing called Rodeohead and it was a, a bluegrass medley of Radiohead songs in like 2005. <laughs> That's awesome. And when we put it online, it it like it it got downloaded like a million. So it was some crazy crazy yeah. number. And then the smoke cleared, and then no one gave a shit anymore. Right. And then that's when I kind of realized, like, oh, no, you have to do that, like, ten times for sure. people to really start to give a shit. Yes. In general, I would say it's always better to have a body of work than one hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's – VH1 tells us that every week. <laughs> <laughs> if, they've, if they've provided society with anything of, yes. of import. I think – more gratifying on a personal level and for the public to observe is uh, people working hard and getting better and better and better until, you know, getting a hit at the end of a career, I think, is much better than at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For, absolutely. It's just better. It just feels more earned. You're happy for the person. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, very, that's a very specific sentiment. <laughs> but it's true, right? 
<laughs> you're Somebody comes out of nowhere and just has a huge hit thing, you're much more likely to be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> How the fuck did they do that? Nah, I don't don't, g- do that again. I, I dare don't you. get it. I don't get this. They got lucky. <laughs> but whereas if you know, like, well, their first stuff was okay, but then they kind of found their groove, and now I'm, like, really pulling for them. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, if you start off with some big pop hit or something, you appreciate people sticking with it and just working. I think just you appreciate seeing people work. So in that case, <laughs> do, you, do you think the do you think the internet should be a destination or more of a? I mean, for for a content for a performer or content creator, should it be a destination goal or is it more of a supplemental tool for like? No, this is you use the internet to build your craft to go do something else. I think it's easily both, a hundred percent both. It just depends what you want to use it for, you know? I think you can gear what you do towards the internet specifically, and I think it's proven at this point, if you'd like, have a complete career doing that, you know? It exists. Mm -hmm. But if you want movies or TV or whatever else, you know, I think it also works as a way to sort of get the word out on you and your comedy, you know? And what you're up to. I, I know almost everyone who does stand-up posts their stand-up online now. Right. So, you know, if they're applying to a festival or they're auditioning for something, they can just send a fucking link. It's the greatest. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, you don't have to go hope that you recorded your best set, you know, hope someone will help you edit it and put a good title card on it, and then hope you can afford to go to, like, the VHS, you know, copy center and have them make, you know, I definitely went through that where I had, you know, 60 VHSs of my stand-up. Wow. You know, and you go around passing them out to people, hoping to get in. The mail crate in your trunk. It's the worst. The worst. I mean, I assume now it's all online. It has to be. It's all just links. Yeah. And it must be great for people running those things, too. Do you think it's important for, uh, because I have this idea. I mean, if if you're a comedian or if you're a comedy group, I guess you could just survive with just a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. But I also think, like, well, it's really important to do multi-platform stuff. I think it's important to do social net media, and I think it's mm-hmm. important to put up videos, and I think it's important to have, like, a, a, a site aspect and as well and an yeah. audio. Like, I don't know. If, 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 you, if you could only – if you could pare it down to just one thing, do you think that video was the most important thing? For me, I would say probably. Um, I mean – Video online or... Yeah, yeah, video online. For me, definitely. But also, like I said, like I I haven't really done Twitter and I haven't... We've never done like a lot of Facebook or any of that either. You know, it's been... It's always just been video content for, for the Lonely Island stuff. So that's kind of an easy answer for me. Yeah. But if I was... But you also have a TV show That's kind of, that was well. the next thing I was going to say. If I wasn't on SNL, I think I'd probably be doing all that stuff. Yeah. For sure. All my friends that are stand-ups that do all that stuff, I get it 100%. I just, for me, I'm just like kind of beating a dead horse here, but our schedule is so crazy that I don't want to set up an expectation for those things that I can't meet. Right. Uh, but maybe, I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if when I'm off the show, I got into it, you know? Right. Like, I, I love going online and, like, reading Sarah Silverman. Did you just Twitters. announce you're leaving the show? Is that what happened? <laughs> no, no, no. Did you just... I can't believe you just announced you're leaving <laughs> SNL, Andy Samberg. Andy, come back. No. He stormed no, out. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. No, but I was saying, like, I, I go on and read, like, Sarah Silverman and Aziz's yeah. 
tweets. They're funny. You know, it's it's and it's, also Aziz will tell you where to get good food. He will. <laughs> who who else do you like online? I mean, do you have? Is there is there anyone online that's kind of popping for you right now? You're like, oh, these guys. They're going to be the next. You know. Um. Not off. I don't have time. Not offhand. You probably don't have time. I mean, we we were super into the auto and the news guys, but now everyone knows them, so that's not really a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody knows them. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're asking. Yeah. Something something maybe that – but I feel like, you know, it doesn't take a long time online for everyone to know about it. Right. I mean, me and Yorma were, like, so pumped off of Diant Word, and now they're, like, a major label – Recording artists. Yeah. <laughs> it took like two months. Yeah. Uh, and they're great and they deserve to be. But you know what I mean? It's like there's not a lot of long kept secrets anymore. Do, do you think that uh, traditional media kind of takes out some of the charm of what happens online? In other words, like do you, now that you're shooting because your videos are still great. And do do you have do you have much larger budgets now, or is it still like no? You guys go out with a couple cameras and you shoot it by yourselves. I mean, like much, much larger budget. This is better now. Yeah. <laughs> much larger. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the idea. When we do the music videos now, traditionally it's the most we spend, mm-hmm. which is kind of ironic because in the beginning it was like, look at how cool we can make it for cheap, <laughs> right? But you know, we're also making we we're like we have a record deal, you know, so we're trying to compete with the flash of those biggest videos, you know, like the view counts are up there with like Eminem and Rihanna. So it's also people have seen what we've done. So it's continuously like a challenge to try and make it feel new and interesting. And yeah. uh, such a huge part of our joke is having it feel like modern pop right you know or modern rap or modern whatever genre it is that song but a huge part of that is also mimicking the style of the videos and the sort of excitement of that the glossiness of that it definitely adds an element i think we learned that on on jizz and boat especially <laughs> <laughs> like those were those were the two biggest productions that we had had on a short this just felt so charlie rose was like when you were working on jizz <laughs> Oh, with dick in the box. Dick in the box. Oh, man. It was like the uh, Inside the Actor's Studio with Chappelle, where he's like, you were in a film called Half-Baked. <laughs> Chappelle just starts dying laughing. That was my favorite thing ever. There's no way to talk about comedy seriously without sounding like a dickhead. There is absolutely no way. When you when you start trying to... I remember back on Jizz. Boo! <laughs> Fuck you! Immediately boo! You're ugly! <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Sorry, forgot my place. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bashing took, me back took, down took, to the insecure. Took me right back to high school. Appreciate that. Do you ever do you, do you, do you uh do you think the do you think the immediate do you think the forums and the message boards and feedback and stuff are good for comics? I think they're horrible for comics because you're always going to read the worst stuff and horrible. And, yeah. Horrible. Do you guys ever read any of it? Oh yeah. Cuz obviously most you people should. love you, but I'm sure there's there's obviously dickheads for every everything in the world. There's not a thing that exists on the internet that doesn't have someone saying they hate it. Right. I mean most people that I know don't do message boards. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I don't. <laughs> uh I mean I would imagine the majority of it are people who are young, mm-hmm. which is great. And that's generally where you get the most enthusiastic, positive people. Right. <laughs> and then there's people that are angry. Yeah. Or want to be critics. Right. And 
you know, therefore want to have an opinion, both good and bad, but seems to always tend towards bad. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think they're keeping it real when they tell you that, like, hey, yeah, I just, I just got to be honest with you. I think, uh, I think that was a piece of shit what you did. Yeah, oh, I didn't, I didn't really like, ask yeah. you to be. <laughs> exactly. You can lie to me. Why don't you lie to me? Yeah, but I mean, if you post something on YouTube, it's gonna happen. It's that is part of that game. So we try not to take it too personally or seriously, and you know. The thing that always makes us feel better is we go, like, well, who's our, like, favorite comedians? And then you go to their IMDb page and read the message boards, and you're like, oh, wow, it's just anyone with any kind of success. It's weirdly comforting. Yeah, for sure. Like, like watching people say, like, the most horrific things about Will Ferrell, who, in my opinion, is one of the most beloved yeah. and respected comics of all time at this point. And you, you know, go online, people are like, he's a fucking da da da. And you're just like, oh, God, yeah. So it doesn't matter who so you are. There's always going to be. There's literally no winning, yeah. Do you, think that that, do you think that that dynamic is making the young crop of comedians who came up now with the internet more uh, bulletproof because they kind of know how it works? It's either that or the opposite. I can't quite tell yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think they're very heavily affected by how they're received online. Right. Because that's how they're used to ingesting the world, you know? So now that they're a part of it, it's almost the same as the way we would feel like the first time we were on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we were like, wow, so that's what I look like on TV. That's how people reacted. <laughs> okay. Like, it, it's obviously different because you can put something online without permission or, <laughs> you know what I mean, without right. getting hired to do it. But... You get that feedback nonetheless uh, in the in a similar way, which is if you're up and online, you are open for criticism. Right. Uh, but, yeah, we were talking about that the other day. Like, we all made stupid videos when we were kids. Like, we were using home video cameras as early as, like, junior high mm-hmm. and making, like, stupid sketches and the editing is terrible. It's all, like, in-camera editing and we're, like – our voices haven't broken yet. You know what I mean? It's like us like pretending to do like Ghostbusters or whatever, you know, being like, hey, yo, get out of here, Egon. <laughs> Can you imagine being that age? The and- famous get out of here, Egon <laughs> scene. Oh, I have the whole movie memorized. <laughs> but like we're talking like, can you imagine making that and posting it on YouTube and having the first comment be like, fags. Yes. <laughs> You'd be like, what? No, but I just <laughs> Ghostbusters. It's terrible. And, you you, know, and like, especially when you're a kid and you think like, <laughs> making videos as a kid, and then we finish them and watch it and be like, we nailed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you did for that. Like, you absolutely did for that. Like, you, you shouldn't be expected to make a professional grade thing at that age. Right. You should be allowed to make something and just show it to your friends and family. And that's how you develop. Like, there's stuff I made, I, I majored in film in college and I always tell people that the reason I think film school is great is because you get all the bad ideas out. You know, you're forced to do production and learn sort of the pace and the function of that. And also, creatively, 
you get your hacky shit out. Right. It's like when you start doing stand-up, you don't want everyone to see your first year of stand-up. <laughs> no. You're figuring out how to do it. Like, it shouldn't be completely on Front Street to be judged as if it is the best you can offer. I'm going to say first few years of stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, I'll go for with me, that. For me, I'm going to say first yeah. five, six See, years there's, of stand-up. There's some stand-ups that don't really find it for like 10 years. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, you know what? That dude is super funny. Yep. I never really – like there's guys that I would see forever and not really care one way or the other. And then they just kept doing it, kept doing it and, and exercising that muscle. And all of a sudden they became so at ease on stage that what they always knew was funny about them, like, breaks through and the audience keys into that. Yep. And it's the same as cast on SNL. I remember a lot of cast when I was just a fan, they'd get hired and I'd be like, oh, who's this new guy? I don't like this guy. <laughs> and then, you know, right around season three, four, five, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, holy shit, they're really funny. And then it breaks and they can do no wrong. And then you're watching the show specifically for that person. Right. It's... It's the that is definitely one of the dangers of those comment message boards and stuff. Like if if for anyone out there listening, yeah, <laughs> do not well, let that discourage you because that's bullshit. It's like, it's awful, and you and you don't you you want to make sure that uh, that you or if you do read them, just know like yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. In spite of that, exactly that that exactly. the majority of people who comment are probably going to say negative stuff. Yeah, and that's more about them than you. Exactly, exactly. So my, I guess my last, the last thing I want to ask about is, uh, let's say, let's say someday you, uh, you know, like whenever you decide, like, oh, I'm going to leave SNL and try to pr- pursue other things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what would, what, what do you think would really stop you from sort of bridging the gap? You know, if internet and television fuse mm-hmm. the way you know we all think it's going to within whatever. With our idea that we came up together. Yes, about, exactly. About buying stuff oh, out of the Oh, phone. I don't know if that was a... I was in the room. Oh, my God, he was. That's how the law works. <laughs> Listen, if anyone's in the room, that's how Edison did it. Oh, that's mine. That's mine. I just came up with a light bulb. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Ah, Edison was just good at being in rooms. He was good at being in rooms with the right people. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, what's really to stop someone from... I mean, if it's really... A, for advertisers, is really about number of views. You're getting... You know, you put something on the internet television that is that gets 50 million views. Uh-huh. Why wouldn't why wouldn't you why couldn't you just go to you know um, whatever Cheerios and be like hey I I got I you know my video is going to get fifty million views and it's on the television now because mm-hmm. it's the internet so give me a ten million dollars like what we've is talk- that going to change the dynamic we've talked about that just for the internet yeah you know I mean that could easily be something we do after SNL mm-hmm. is just make a lucrative internet deal <laughs> 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 absolutely I mean who's to say. Um, I think it might not be the only thing, right? you know, because we all, me, Keevan, Yoram, I mean, when I say we, uh, love movies as well. And, you know, I'd love to start going back to doing live comedy, like not live on television, but like right. stand-up. Yeah. I love doing stand-up and I have not had time to do it. Um, maybe we do the tour thing if we can, you know? So I think... In short, what you're asking is a complete reality. Like, there's there's deals to be had online, and they're good deals, I think. Well, that's what I – and that that's <clears> – maybe that's something that – because I remember in the 90s, every comic was saying, oh, let's move out to L.A., 
just get five minutes so we can get a sitcom, you right. know, when the industry was handing out sitcoms. Yeah. So maybe now the rush is more let's uh you know, let's start building an internet presence so when that <laughs> when that when that does then cross over to, you know I mean it's Yeah, it's both. It's still it's still sitcom and it's still and it's now internet as well. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's I mean, not to be too, like, brass tacks about it, but it's anywhere you can sell advertising money. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be on someone's fucking butt crack if that's where people think they can advertise. I've been saying they should do that in porn <laughs> for a long time, just like in boxing. Exactly. <laughs> just put, like, put, yeah, put, like, so, Astroglide on the side of your cock. Exactly. So... That's a really good. That's a good idea. Actually, I'm oh. just asking if you'll put Astroglide in the side of your That's really kind of what this lit. What I immediately, honestly thought of was the Astroglide on the side of your cock in a porno, and then in our new creation, putting your touching the cock and taking it to a, an Astroglide website where you can buy it, <laughs> and then touching a woman's vagina where you can buy the vagina mold that she made on the on the website as um, well. That's another great idea. I know you're being sarcastic. All right. Well, I'm just saying when you're ready to leave uh, SNL, we'll form. This crazy <laughs> touch, uh, this capacitive uh, touchscreen venture where it's we can very, do that with It's our a television. very tactile porn industry. That's that's where porn needs to go next. <laughs> where porn needs we to. were just, uh, it's another digression, but we were just talking about that movie Lawnmower Man. Oh my, I just watched that three months ago again. I'm like, I haven't seen Jeff Fahey, like Lost kicked up, uh, watching Jeff Fahey on oh, Lost wow, kicked yeah, up right. Lawnmower Man for me. Like, I want to watch Lawnmower Man you again. You laughing so hard. It's, it is actually quite apropos of this interview because it's. It was virtual reality. (laughs) Oh, virtual reality is the next thing. You can make love without touching. Yeah, and then you can turn into butterflies or whatever. (laughs) That virtual world. Yeah, he consumed knowledge at such a rate that he managed to transfer his soul into uh, digital media, basically. Job, I'm going to do an experiment with you. Can I do an experiment with you, Job? (laughs) That weird accent that Pierce Brosnan was doing. Oh, I'm sort of American, but I'm not really American, Job. He uploaded himself. Yep, he uploaded himself to the net. And then, <laughs> and then remember, that's when Job took over the world, and we all suffered uh, as oh, a result yeah. of the Lawnmower oh, Man. Oh, wait, I remember when that happened. Yeah, remember when Lawnmower Man took over? <laughs> well, uh, we are at the end of, of our time, but uh, thank you for coming up here and chatting. And thanks and for having me. Of course, this is. I, I've been wanting to get you on for a long time, and I'm glad this. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> Wired pulled the strings. <laughs> and I also just want to say, like. We're we're not usually this serious. Like we are super funny. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, Tell me about Dick and a Box. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the joke of saying I'm funny. I am. Me and Yorm do this thing when we meet new people. Where we'll go. Uh, oh, oh hey, uh, this is my friend Yorma. Oh, he has the best sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, like trying to think of the worst thing to introduce someone uh, as. Right. Oh, this is my buddy. Oh, he, he has such a good sense of humor. He's, You're going to love him. He's so he's hilarious. Such a great sense of Be humor. Be hilarious. <laughs> Be hilarious. That's what my cab driver was thinking. <laughs> That's right. My cab driver had a great sense of humor. He had a he was a great he had gr- a great Frank Sinatra sense of humor. <laughs> Wasn't even his own sense of humor. It was terrible and it was Frank's. He also told me a nacho cheese joke that like, "Hey, mister, that's nacho cheese." Oh boy. Oh my <laughs> god. You know what though? I got to tell you something. Comedy is very Darwinian in the sense that uh, you know, it's a survival of the fittest joke. So those are probably killing with other passengers it's and that's probably why I was like, true. I better I better yeah, we're getting to Central Park West now. I better hit my A-list. I better 
when, you, when your cab driver starts going, all right, I'm just going to wrap it up with this. I'm getting the light, Oop, the traffic the, light. I'm getting the light. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Andy Samberg, let's hug it out. All right. Oh, get off me. What? Uh, no, just a little okay. bit. Just let it happen. You're in? Yep. And we're done. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover, domain registration and management that's simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to Hover.com slash Nerdist. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home Yes, cool! or attending one live, you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.